each morning at this time, I'll offer some reminders about practice. Sometimes it will be in the form of a a guided a guided meditation. Other times it will be more like a talk. And since this is an experienced group, the instructions I'll offer this morning will be a little more abbreviated than I usually offer on this retreat, on this first morning. More like reminders about how we practice here in this form, in this style. It's always helpful at the beginning of practice to remind ourselves of why we are practicing. to remember that the purpose of practice is to learn about our minds, to understand what is it in our experience, what is it in our minds that directs us towards suffering and what directs us towards happiness and freedom. And to cultivate the wisdom that allows us to shift our habitual momentum towards greed, aversion, and delusion. Towards wisdom, kindness, compassion, and freedom. Remembering that the Buddha taught us that our suffering is created by the forces of greed, aversion, and delusion in our minds. That it is not inherent in what is experienced. That no matter what is happening in the world, our hearts can be at ease. And that ease may not be an ease, may not be what we think of the definition of ease as. In some ways the mind reels about finding ease in the midst of the news of the last month. So it is not the kind of, perhaps not ease in the way that we would typically think about ease. But it is a heart that is not constricted around what is happening and can be responsive rather than reactive. I 
And so this is the purpose of our practice, to free our hearts from these constrictions, the constrictions of greed, aversion, and delusion. The particular practice that we're doing here, it's a form, a style of practice that I have particularly found valuable in my own practice. And I am asking that everyone participate in this form during this retreat. There are many forms of practice and they all have their place, they all have value. And so I don't want to create any sense of hierarchy between practices, that some are better than others. I think they all have their place at particular times. And, uh, and for particular minds, particular people at different times, some practices are more appropriate than others. And yet here I'm offering a particular style of practice that whatever your, your familiar style of practice, I would like to suggest that this may be a useful tool to add to your toolkit, particularly since the style of practice that we're teaching. If we look at the instructions at least, There is no difference in the instructions we offer for this practice, for practice on deep retreat, and for practice in daily life. The instructions are the same. The conditions of silent retreat practice and the continuity of mindfulness that's possible in this form that we're doing here will allow us to see different things than we would see in our daily lives. And so for myself, I see the silent retreat practice in this form is incredibly potent, very valuable. And yet I can do the same practice in my daily life. the way that this practice can be the same instructions in retreat and on daily life is that it is about a receiving of experience. It's, a, it's primarily a receptive attention that we are cultivating. We open to all aspects of our experience, the fullness of our human lives. We're not narrowing our focus. And we're not also choosing, in particular, what we are paying attention to. It's more like we're learning how to be mindful, how to be aware of what's already going on in our experience. We're cultivating a mindfulness that can follow the attention. And so we practice this here on retreat. And in daily life, often people say in daily life that they don't have time to be mindful. And I think 
often that is because of the idea that mindfulness means doing something, choosing something to pay attention to. And so here we're cultivating not a doing of particular, paying attention to a particular object, but a cultivating of that capacity to know just what's already happening. And the, the stronger that capacity gets, the more available it is in daily life while we're, we're working, while we're talking on the phone, while we're working on the computer, while we are having conversations with friends or taking a walk. This capacity of awareness to just be here for what's already happening and unfolding in our human lives is strengthened. And so this is primarily what we'll be cultivating. This receptive awareness that can open to all aspects of our experience. And so I'd like to talk this morning about a few key points. I touched on them last night that support our practice. The first is relaxation. When I first went to Shui Umin, and he so emphasized, Saira Utejaniya so emphasized relaxation. This was kind of a revelation to me. And it transformed my practice to have that be the ground out of which practice grows. First, starting with relaxing the body partly because there is such a feedback between mind and body that when the body is tense, it creates a tension in the mind. And when the mind is tense, it creates a tension in the body. And so if we start with relaxing the body consciously, which we can do, it supports a physical relaxation, but it also allows the mind to begin to relax. Just right now, play with this with your face. Relax your face. And what happens in your body as you relax your face? The face, in fact, is one of the most powerful feedback loops between mind and body. What's going on in the mind will kind of unconsciously uh, land in the face. And we can allow a relaxation of the face to cultivate and support a relaxation of the mind. 
And so this is what we explore at the beginning. Because often, particularly coming into retreat, our bodies are tense, our minds are tense from what we've been doing to get here. And so we start with relaxing the body, relaxing the mind. This is a doing to begin the practice. And it may be at times during the retreat, you may notice the system is quite tense and it may be useful to spend a long period of time just cultivating relaxation. So use this as a tool. It is a very supportive tool for for our practice. As we relax the body, it supports the mind to relax. And when the mind is relaxed, it is naturally, very naturally able to be present without a lot of effort. Again, that being present doesn't mean necessarily choosing what we're paying attention to, but just being present to what is already here, what's already obvious. And so at the beginning, I emphasize relaxation a lot, consciously relaxing the mind and body. As we go on during the course of the retreat, it may be more useful to explore just becoming aware when tension is present. And you can play with this. If you become aware that tension is present and just allow yourself to rest knowing, oh, tension is here. Watch what happens. If the tension gets stronger, it's probably useful to spend some time consciously relaxing. If the tension actually begins to kind of release on its own, just as we simply recognize, oh, tense body, that's what's happening. The very container of mindfulness and awareness can allow a releasing of that tension. And yet often at the beginning of retreat, it's supportive to consciously take time to do this process of relaxation. In the Buddha's teaching, the Noble Eightfold Path, the, the instructions for meditation are kind of encompassed in wise understanding, wise intention, wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration. So we apply our mindfulness with a particular perspective of wisdom. And I'll be talking about wisdom a lot For now, 
I will point to a very simple way that mindfulness itself, the way we pay attention, includes wisdom. Right mindfulness. When we are curious about experience, as experience in the present moment. We're interested in observing experience itself rather than doing something about it or trying to fix it or change it. This perspective of witnessing, observing, is a fundamentally different relationship with experience than we have habitually grown up with. And it includes, it kind of encompasses some of the key wisdom. Because as we begin to be interested in experience itself, we begin to see how experience impacts us. We see that greed and aversion hurt, create stress in our system. And that very simple witnessing and understanding has the mind become more interested in learning how it might free itself from that greed and aversion. And so mindfulness in this practice, we explore a couple of key pieces. First, awareness itself. Are you aware in this moment? Are you aware? Notice that you are aware. It may not be obvious to you how you know that you're aware, but we do know that we're aware. That's enough in this moment. This is the first piece of the instruction. We check in, are we, am I aware? Aware, aware. We can use a question in our minds to help us recognize this, if you find that supportive. Am I aware? The great thing about this particular question, am I aware, is that if you even think to ask it, you can answer yes. And so you might ask, why bother? Why bother asking if you can always answer yes? Well, I asked myself that question, and I came up with a, an understanding of why it's helpful to ask the question. Because it highlights, it begins to have the mind start to be curious about what is this awareness?
So just asking the question has us engage in a, a, perhaps a new investigation of what is awareness itself. This is a really important part of this practice, getting familiar with the experience of awareness itself, the experience of being mindful. And then in that experience of being aware, that presence, some different words for this, mindfulness, awareness, presence, there is something that we are aware of. There's a vast range of things and experiences that we can be aware of. from very specific experience, like a particular pressure or a sound, to some more diffuse experiences like a mood or a state of mind, such as dullness or sleepiness. A wide range, sights, sounds, smells, tastes, touch, and everything that goes on in our minds. And so there is this recognition of awareness itself. And then, what am I aware of? What's obvious? As I said earlier, we're cultivating a receptive attention, not a directed attention. I believe I said last night that we can sometimes conflate or feel like we're only being mindful if we're choosing what to pay attention to. And this is something that we can learn is not necessarily the case. We can choose what to pay attention to. That's a possibility. And I can encourage you right now, notice the experience of your hands. Notice the sensation of your lips touching the contact of your hips against the chair or cushion or bench. And this is in a way I'm inclining you to direct your attention. So there's a possibility of that conscious directing of the attention. And yet attention is a function of the mind that is both amenable to conscious control and also does its thing whether we're consciously choosing it or not. Much like the breath. You know, we can consciously decide to breathe in and consciously decide to breathe out. And yet we don't have to think about it and we can stop thinking about breathing and the breath will breathe in and out on its own. Attention is a a factor of mind like that. We can choose, oh, I'm going to pay attention to this right now. Or we can settle back and allow the attention, see what the attention is naturally gravitating to. So I sometimes talk about this receptive mindfulness as being kind of following the attention 
We're sitting here and a sound happens or a strong body sensation happens. And the attention naturally goes to that. We don't have to try to do that. It happens. And we can see that happening. I also sometimes encourage a receptive stance where it feels like we're settled back and letting experience come to us. So that's a little about mindfulness. Noticing the awareness itself and receiving what that awareness is aware of. And then effort in this practice. In this moment, notice the sensations of your hands. The contact of your hips, the sensations of your feet. How hard is it to notice those things as I mention them? Usually it's not that hard. It's almost automatic as I name an area for the attention to take that in. And so we can see that in a moment, it doesn't take very much effort to notice experience. What is more difficult is to sustain effort over time. For a split second, it's not so hard. We can know what's happening in a moment. And yet the power of the mindfulness grows and strengthens the more continuous the mindfulness is. And so this is our work to get that wheel, that engine of mindfulness going through a steady, light touch of effort. And so a gentle, persistent effort is supportive for this practice. Any practice, actually. We only have this moment. This is all that there is. And in meditation, we are entering into this moment and watching this moment. And so just enough effort to be in this moment is the appropriate amount of effort. And then in the next moment, the next split second, we do it again and again and again and again. We often, I think, uh, think about effort as 
something we can gather and you know apply a lot of and that may be how effort works in our daily lives but in meditation the effort to be present for a moment is all that's necessary what is necessary too, is to begin to recognize how frequently do we need to remind ourselves to be aware. At the beginning, we probably need to remind ourselves a lot. As you settle, as the mind becomes more present, we start to get familiar with the experience of being aware and we, we can tune our effort to that awareness. So an example, a kind of an, ex- an analogy that I often use for, uh, for this is um, riding a scooter, one of those uh, kick scooters that the kids use, not one of the motorized ones, but one that you stand on and put your foot on the ground and tap. So if you're at a standstill, you have to tap frequently to get going. You have to push, 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 push. And then a momentum will build up and you can ride for a little while. And you get familiar with what it feels like to ride And then you notice the scooter starts getting a little wobbly and you put your foot down and kick again. This is a similar exploration with the mindfulness. At the beginning, to get the momentum going, we need to remind ourselves a lot. And this may just be simply, am I aware? What am I aware of? Or just aware of what? To simplify the questions. As the retreat goes on, you'll find that you don't need to use the conscious questions so much. Using questions in practice is not to start thinking about them, to think about the questions, but just to encourage us to land here in the moment with what is here. And so at the beginning, in terms of the effort, we remind ourselves frequently And we get familiar with what that momentum of riding the wave of mindfulness feels like. And feel it start to get a little wobbly. We learn to tune the level of reminding to how aware we are. Much as on the scooter, if we're going at a pretty good pace, if we're rolling along, it doesn't help to put your foot down when you're going pretty fast. It actually slows you down. Likewise, there are times when the momentum of mindfulness is strong enough that reminding ourselves, am I aware, is like getting in the way. And so we have to become attuned to how this awareness feels and get familiar with it so that we can tune our level of effort to how aware we are. And... Effort and mindfulness put together are concentration. The effort that we make to cultivate that momentum of mindfulness 
creates concentration because stabilized mindfulness is concentration. Sometimes we have the idea of concentration being focus on some particular experience. But in the mind, a concentrated mind is one that is stable, not pulled off into thoughts of past or future, not reactive. And so the stability of awareness itself is concentration. It is the stability of awareness that allows us to see deeply and to understand our experience as it is in the present moment. So the stability of mindfulness in the midst of changing experience has a different feeling perhaps than the concentration of just staying with the breath. If we are familiar with that experience of settling with the experience of breathing and how still it gets, then the experience of a stable mindfulness with a lot of stuff happening, maybe a little unfamiliar as concentration. And so sometimes we can again just check in. It's like, well, am I aware? Yes, I'm aware. Wow, there's a lot happening, but I'm aware of all of it. So the stability of mindfulness is here, is present. And then there's, of course, the wandering mind, the mind that gets lost in thought. This is, will happen. The mind will wander on its own and it will wake up on its own. In that moment of mindfulness returning, right there, one of the, the best practices there is just to recognize, oh, awareness is back. There's nothing in particular that we have to do in that moment other than to recognize, ah, aware again. And of what? We don't have to pick something to pay attention to in that moment. Often in the wandering mind, there's some idea as we wake up, it's, oh, come back to the breath. What? Come back to something. Come back to being here. Well, in that waking up, You're already here. So, ah, awareness is back, aware again. Awareness has returned. That moment is a beautiful moment to especially begin to recognize awareness itself. Because there's such a distinction in that moment, or can be at least, a distinction between what it feels like for the mind to be lost and what it feels like for the mind to wake up into awareness. So we can recognize awareness really fully in that moment. And then what's obvious in that moment? What have we woken up into? The mind has been wandering. It's been thinking about something, daydreaming about something, drifting or arguing or fantasizing. 
It's the mind has been doing something, and when the mind does something, it creates a whole landscape of experience. And so we wake up into, oh, thinking. Be curious about what has been created by those conditions. No need to judge at all. It's like those were the conditions. It's like, oh, here, I can be aware of these conditions. And so you've been arguing in your mind. You wake up, it's like, woo, tension, tightness. Okay, notice that. If it's helpful, go back to relaxation. Or you wake up and the mind has just been drifting, kind of daydreamy, and you come back into mindfulness, and the mind feels really spacious and easy. Great, notice that. If you find that whatever your mind has wandered to is very sticky, that kind of wants to go back to thinking, then it can be useful to pick some experience to help your mind not go there. Open your eyes, do seeing meditation, attend to the breath. Just pick some obvious object that for you helps you to uh, not get pulled back into that thought. And then you can, over the next few moments, open back up to receiving what is obvious. And then mindfulness, effort, and concentration are not quite enough. We need to explore how we are paying attention because so often there are agendas, attitudes, beliefs, ideas, views that are in the back of our mind kind of running the show without our being consciously aware of it. And so this is where checking the attitude comes in. Checking our relationship to experience. What, what is happening in our experience is not as important as how we are with it. If what's happening is simple experience of sound or body sensation and the mind is at ease, comfortable with what's happening, that is a fine object of experience. Those are fine experiences to just be with. Saito Utejaniya talks about wise attitude or right attitude as being a way of being with our experience that allows us to be at ease with whatever is happening. 
And so since there's a, a right attitude, there's also an attitude that gets in our way, often an attitude that is kind of motivating us behind the scenes to want to change things or fix things or, or uh, hold on to things. So often in the back of our minds with experience, there is some wanting things to be another way, wanting things to keep going or confusion. So there are attitudes of greed, aversion, and delusion. And so we can check in in our, in our experience. What, what's happening and what's my relationship to it? What's here? What, 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 how am I with this? What's the relationship? What's the attitude? Various questions we can ask ourselves about this. Or sometimes it might just be as simple as what else is happening? What else is here right now? Just to broaden so that we might see something that was hidden from us. And so as we check our relationship, check our attitude to experience, we will often find some kind of greed, aversion, delusion, frustration, anxiety, anger, desire, wanting to see something, wanting to know something, confusion, boredom. We'll see some relationship to experience. And the great thing about mindfulness is that once something is known, once something, we become aware of something, it's just another experience to be aware of. And so this wrong attitude that I spoke about is really only wrong attitude when it is not seen. As soon as it is seen, it becomes an experience. As soon as it's seen, as soon as we recognize, oh, oh, this experience is happening and I don't like it. Oh, not liking is here too. It's like the container widens and we know, oh, not liking. There's pain in the knee and not liking is happening. that shift from the attitude being behind the scenes to being at least something that's known is a crucial shift. So we get to know right attitude. We, we moved towards right attitude by getting really familiar with wrong attitude. There's four basic flavors of attitude. Greed, and all of its flavors. Aversion, and all of its flavors. And delusion, which has way more flavors than we can even imagine. I'll probably talk about flavors of delusion at some point on the retreat. But let's just say for now, Delusion can manifest as kind of a, just a kind of a spacing out or a disconnection from experience as one flavor of delusion. 
Another flavor of delusion is carrying a, a view or an idea that is not seen, that is influencing how we are paying attention. That's a form of delusion. And so any attitude that is unseen carries delusion. Even if we know what's happening, we're, s- we're watching a pain in the knee, if we're unaware that there's a not liking happening, there's, there's delusion in that. It's like we're, we're, there's a filter there that we're seeing through. So delusion operates through those filters. The fourth kind of attitude is balance of mind, wise attitude. And so when we check in, what's our relationship to experience? Now you may, you may check in, ask this question, what's my attitude? How, how, what else is here? How am I with this? Sometimes it's glaringly obvious. You know, and again, it's not trying to find an attitude. It's not about searching here. Drop in the question and see what appears. Sometimes I think about these questions as like ringing a doorbell and seeing who answers the door. So drop in the question and just be aware. What's my relationship? Sometimes it's like, whoa, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm anxious about this. And it's like glaringly obvious that that's the attitude. At other times, it's not so obvious. And that may be because the attitude is a subtler form of greed, aversion, or delusion, one that's harder to see. Or maybe it is that calm, ease, peace, are available. And we're not so familiar with recognizing those. Okay. No problem. Those are attitudes. That's wise attitude. So recognizing that as well. This fourth kind of attitude, balance of mind, can have many flavors to it also. It may kind of be a feeling of ease or peace or calm or curiosity, interest. It may be a feeling of love, allowing, acceptance, compassion, gratitude, Many, many beautiful qualities of mind can begin to be revealed as we land in wise attitude. But don't go looking for them. More the opening to. What else is here? What's my relationship? So, this morning, since the instructions, the reminders have taken most of the period, um, we won't do a 
a guided meditation now. Instead, I'll give you some instructions about walking, and you'll go do a walking period with these basically same instructions. It's not much different. Um, and, uh, and then you'll do the walking practice. And we'll come back at 10.15. And who's the 10.15 bell ringer? Okay, so ring the bell, but then I'll be here at 10.15, so you don't have to be practice leader today. After today, yes. Um, and I'll do a little bit of a guided meditation in the sitting to settle you all in uh, in this practice, to familiarize you with it in the sitting practice. So with walking, same basic tools. Relax. Check, am I aware of what? And from time to time, check the attitude. Now the objects are different, and this is one of the, the um, things that we discover around this practice. We sit in meditation in silence with our eyes closed perhaps, body still. Certain objects are obvious. Pressure, vibration, pulsing, tingling, hearing, moods, emotions, thoughts mind states, not so much in the way of seeing because our eyes are closed, not so much in the way of motion because our bodies are still. We uh, shift to the moving practice, the objects, what what becomes obvious shifts. And two huge new experiences that are really obvious in the walking are the movement of the body and seeing. And so Walking practice helps to familiarize us with these other areas of experience. And so we, we, we do the same practice, use the same tools. They have slightly different application, in particular the relaxation, the way I like to encourage or explore relaxation for myself in the walking practice is to um, find a pace of walking that feels really comfortable. Let your body and the comfort of walking be your guide as to the ease. Try speeding up a little bit, slowing down a little bit. Don't let any idea or agenda about walking slowly (laughs) get in the way of exploring the pace that feels comfortable. Find the pace that naturally feels relaxed. So, Spend the first maybe five minutes or so finding a pace that feels easeful and comfortable. And then check in, you know, am I aware? With the walking meditation also, you know, sometimes of you may be familiar with doing a back and forth walking, and you're welcome to do that here, but I find with this particular style of practice, it's often helpful to, um, to go for longer walks but find a walk that you don't have to think about. Like you might walk from one end of the driveway to the other and back so that it's a longer walk. Or you might walk around the perimeter of the property so that it's a longer walk. You don't have to think about, well, which turn am I going to take? Just know where you're going so you don't have to think about that. But make it more like a normal walk at whatever pace feels comfortable, and start exploring. Am I aware? And what's obvious? 
Again, in the walking, seeing is probably going to be really obvious. Hearing will probably be really obvious. And body movement may be very obvious. And as we explore this possibility of receptive attention, we may also notice how our emotions respond to what we see and hear. We see a beautiful flower and there's a delight. We may run across a, something that frightens us. There are snakes on the property. What happens? So we watch, am I aware? What am I aware of? From time to time, check your relationship to experience. What's, what's the attitude? In walking in particular, there's a practice that I find supportive, um, and that is to recognize that uh, very naturally, in seeing and hearing, the attention will sometimes be just kind of taking in a field of sight, and sometimes it will look at something. So a distinction between seeing and looking. You're, you're, you're walking and just the eyes are open and you're just noticing kind of the wash of experience and moving through space in that way. And then a bird flies across your field of vision and immediately the attention looks at that movement. Very natural process. Just notice that that happens. It will happen a lot. You don't have to try to either look at things or try to not look at things and be in seeing. You can just watch the attention shift from seeing to looking to seeing. And likewise, from hearing to listening to hearing. Noticing that difference. This is a very powerful uh, learning of watching the mind because it is the mind that does that shift of attention. So... I will give you some time to practice with this. At the four o'clock Dharma offering this afternoon will be an opportunity for questions. So uh, not taking questions right now, uh, but play with it. Play with the instructions that have been offered and bring your questions at four o'clock. At the four o'clock Dharma offering each day, there may be a Dharma talk. Uh, I may take questions probably for the first week or so of the retreat. If I take questions in the Dharma offering, it will be um, written questions. But I'll let you know each morning if I'll be taking questions. Um, Today, the questions will be in the hall. So uh, I'll just, we'll just have you ask them in the hall.
then um, the evening schedule the schedule was correct on the bell ringer schedule so there is there's a sitting I oh I, this is where I need to put another schedule um, yeah you'll put one here okay so um, yeah the there's um, a, a sitting at 645 a walking at 715 a sitting at 745 that I think Alex is the uh, practice leader in bell ringer for and then uh, a walking at 8.30. So I've posted that new schedule out there and we'll put it here also. Um, it was, it was it, we had a hour and 15 minute period for walking. So we're not doing that. <laughs> and um, for those of you who are bell ringers and practice leaders for these three days, the schedule here, it will get fixed here for the evening. The schedule here indicates um, how long your sitting is. And so check when you come up here. Some of the sittings are 30 minutes. Some of the sittings are 45 minutes. And so just check when you come up here so you know when to ring the bell at the end of your sitting. And then at the um, last sitting in the evening at 9 o'clock, at the beginning of that sitting, I offer a few minutes of reflection, kind of reminders or Dharma encouragement, <laughs> just uh, to support you as you practice at the end of the day. So it's time for walking, and I'll see you at 10.15.